Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of the Theater Enthusiast Podcast. I already told my guests this, but I cannot believe they said yes to coming on to my podcast. I'm kind of freaking out a little bit that they said yes. Um, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, and I didn't say this to you, but the History Boys is one of my top going theater experiences of all time. One of them. Oh, uh, great. I gave away who it is. So please welcome. <laughs> I'm just going to like embarrass him a little bit now. Two-time Tony nominated and Olivier nominated actor Samuel Barnett. <laughs> that? I love that. That's great. All right. Now it stopped. See, you'll hear it on Zoom for like a split second, but at least I did. you hear it. Yeah, I did wow. hear it. Yes. I got it. Yes. Oh, and always hot priest candle is lit. The mug is drink drunk out of see i already told you i slip over my words can't, can't speak not, can't speak i'm not drunk i just act like it on the podcast i was gonna ask what's in what's in the cup what are you water oh, God. no it's water sure, sure. vodka tonic great <laughs> oh my god i can't drink vodka tonic say just no or what is it vodka soda they just go through me and i'm in the bathroom every two oh. seconds i know oh, okay good to All know right. TMI, welcome to the podcast. So, welcome, everyone. Welcome. Yeah, so drinking out of the hot priest mug, and I already showed Mr. Samuel Barton. Should I call you Sam or Samuel or hey? Sam's you? fine. Sam, Sam great. Yeah. Because he and I are best friends now, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, he has the Shakespeare love mug because of his turn as Sebastian and then Lady Viola in uh, Twelfth Night. So, hello, mm. welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great <laughs> to be here. Again, I just like, I've been waiting for this day since you said yes. I've been telling people, I'm like, I mean, I've had great guests on, but like, wait till September because this uh, is- Well, I'm honored. I'm I'm totally yeah. honored. And I and I really like the podcast. I've listened to some episodes. It's great. Oh, thank you. I'm very surprised <laughs> to hear that because I always jokingly say that like two people listen to my podcast when it's really- I like, must be, well, I must be one of them. I must so, be one you know, of we'll people. say it's six now, including Mr. Sure. Samuel Barnett. And, you know, tell your friends. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. I will. Listen to the podcast. It's great. I will. My mom, my mom will listen. She always listens to things I do. So- hey, My mom doesn't yeah. listen to my podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so And you're fine about that. Yeah, no, it's fine. I, I always say, like, whoever is meant to listen to the podcast will listen to the podcast. That is true. And that's where we are. So, Sam, let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from a town, a, a little fishing town on the northeast coast of England called Whitby, um, where I grew up. My parents were both from London, but moved up to Whitby for teaching jobs. And so I grew up in Whitby for the first 18 years of my life and it's um famous for being the place that Bram Stoker wrote Dracula and in the book the big Dracula dog lands at Whitby and terrorizes the town um it's famous for fish and chips and uh Captain Cook and goths and that's that's Whitby that's probably why there's goths because Dracula yes Yes, I think so too. Yeah. Two and two together. But what would you yeah. say Captain Crunch? Or what did you say it was famous for? Oh no, he froze. I've frozen. Okay. You're back. I can hear you. Yeah. We're, okay. back. We're, we're back. We're back. We're back. 
Freezing happens. We're back. I don't know if it's you or it's going to happen. It's got, we're on a Zoom. Call. I don't know. It's trans. We're trans. We're transatlantic. We're going to freeze. Yeah. Occasionally. Um. But what? What were you saying? I didn't get any of that. Did you say <laughs> Captain Crunch? Or <laughs> I? I totally. No, I, I said. I said. I said Captain Cook. Oh, Captain who, Cook. Um, okay. But you know, du- dubious figure now because of you know colonialism and oh. all of that. So um. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah. know, UK America. And- sure other colonialism thingies that are happening Mm. so what first got you involved in doing theater um I did I did theater from the age of six I think my first role was as a a mouse in um wind in the willows in the local amateur dramatic society version of that at the um spa pavilion in Whitby and I did dancing lessons from the age of like nine and I did the school musicals and school plays um from like all the way through secondary school and I just continued from there really um I wanted to I didn't know I wanted to do it professionally mm-hmm. and I didn't think doing it professionally was an option for someone like me because weirdly I thought drama school was for professionals or people who could like really act and not for someone like me who just did it because I loved doing it mm-hmm. um but it really is I realized like looking back it really is the only thing I can do and the only thing I wanted to do and I hear a lot of actors say that and of course if I was if I had to give it up tomorrow and was forced to do something else I would find something else to do but while that's not the case, yeah. I really do feel like it's the only thing mm-hmm. I'm good for. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it felt like the most natural thing to go and do, even though I didn't think I would be, you know, good enough or whatever. But yeah. turns out I was OK at it. So that's good. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're doing pretty well all these years. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm, still do- I'm still doing it. So doing it's working it, out. You know, yeah. Um, is it true, I saw on your IMDb page that your friends filled out your drama school application? It, yeah, my first boyfriend filled out my drama school application because I just wasn't going to do it because I didn't see how it would be remotely possible. Also, financially, I didn't see how it would be possible because back then, drama schools now are all sort of affiliated with universities. So you get the same kind of... Um, student loans and funding that you would get for any degree course but back then most drama schools were not degree courses so you paid privately and I did not have I didn't really have the money to even pay for the auditions and the travel down there um so I don't really know how I got through all that I did get a scholarship to go to drama school I went to Lambda um for three years and they I had to I got in there and then I had to audition for a scholarship and um I got that and therefore was able to go but if I hadn't had funding I would probably not be in acting now at all so I'm really really lucky to have got that yeah and well that'll come up later on the inside the actor studio questions of what okay great yeah would you like other two yeah you'll hear it so okay great how was your experience at Lambda oh it was great I mean I had um I made friends for life with people there we're all still in touch um it was um fantastic to be able to 
devote all of my time to acting. It was, I've pro I probably worked harder at Lambda than I've ever worked in the industry, just because the hours were so like, you know, you'd go in at 8 a.m. and sometimes not leave till 11 p.m. And those are sometimes like filming hours. But it was so, it was really, really, really intense. Um, and I think what I learned there was a lot of a lot about what not to do. I think I learned about undoing bad habits that I'd picked up, not from anyone else, but habits that I'd formed as as an amateur actor. Um, a lot about sort of getting in my own way, really. And I'm still still learning uh, 21 years later to not get in my own way. Um, but it was it was a lot about sort of stripping away bad habits because I think fundamentally you get better with practice but I think fundamentally you can't I don't know if you can necessarily teach acting maybe you can but I think you I think what you can teach I think in a way what you can teach is what not to do I don't know if you can necessarily just teach the thing that you should do but maybe by stripping away what not to do it becomes simpler and you sort of learn what to do yeah. yeah. So do you think a large part of that is getting in your own way or is there a little bit more to that? I think it's getting in your own way. I think it's bad habits. I think um, there's a sort of a, like a third eye, like a sort of observer that has to come into play so that you can It's kind of you have to be out of your own way, but at the same time, monitor what you're doing. It's a really weird space, really very gray space, I find acting to be and I've tried one of the I've tried to be totally out of my way and sort of almost completely unconscious of what I'm doing on stage and just be so in the moment and that doesn't necessarily work and then I've tried like really just kind of not planning performances but kind of really trying to be uber aware of like what I'm doing in each moment and that doesn't work either it's like you have to be out of your own way but have a third eye of sort of third objective eye on yourself all the time it's a really weird space yeah is there a particular role or show where you tried that or has it yeah. been okay yeah um and and I guess the reason this is so in my mind is because I I've just done um a solo show at the Edinburgh Festival oh we're gonna talk and don't worry yeah and that that was that was the most streamlined experience or example of what I'm talking about whereby I found that the balance between not being in my own way and being completely present, but also having to technically keep an eye on myself. I've never had that as such a clear example. Um, and that's where I think for me, and I don't, I don't, I think every act is different for me. I think that's probably that space. If I can get in it each night, it's where I probably do my best work. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely a good example. I mean, I guess we'll talk about it a little bit now, but um mm -hmm. It is. It was a one-man show written for you, and you had like mm -hmm. almost a month of performances. So I guess that does yeah. make sense because it was also performed in the round. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It. It. There's that. Um. When Stephen Sondheim died, there was that quote that um he was quoted in in the news as saying some, and I'm going to get it wrong, but saying something like, "If you're not doing things that frighten you, then you're dead." And I love that after 21 years in this industry there are obviously so many things that I've never done before and there are so many things that still frighten me and it turns out a solo show is one of those things I I was terrified and my anxiety was through the roof for most of the run until I sort of calmed down about three weeks in um it was very exposing 
And I was genuinely frightened and kept thinking, why am I putting myself through this? And then once I was kind of doing the show, some shows that feeling never left me. And I would get to the end of the show and still think, yeah, why am I doing this? And other shows, it would just feel glorious and that would leave and I could just get on and do it. Um, But it was amazing to be doing something that was so challenging after all these years. And I loved it in the end. It was like the most rewarding experience. Yeah. Is there going to be more life to that show? Um, We hope so. I mean, our lovely producer, Francesca Moody, she's, you know, I think intent on world domination and quite right too. I think um, (laughs) we're talking about all sorts of touring and um, things all over the place. New maybe, York hopefully being one of them. I was so say, maybe that'll be your your journey to New York where you have yeah. a reason, wink wink, to come yeah. to New York. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I yeah. I, re- I really hope so. Yeah. I really hope so. I think it would um I think it would go down well in New York. And and we had a lot of Americans come to see it and they seemed to love it. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. A friend of mine actually saw it and I messaged her about it. I was like, tell me about it because he's coming on my podcast so I like need to know things and then she was saying how like I found it funny she said it was weird seeing like stand up in the round because normally people don't do stand up in the round and I was like that's mm. not true <laughs> but you know I have to say when from that conversation well when we when we did a little workshop of the show last year we did it like end on like a normal sort of proscenium arch theater mm-hmm. Um, just for ourselves that was the staging and then when I was told it was going to be in the round in Edinburgh my first response was you can't do stand-up comedy in the round and then and then my second response was oh this is actually a play it's not stand-up comedy don't panic you'll have a director Mm -hmm. you'll be fine and and our brilliant director Matthew Zier um, staged it so that I really I really never stopped moving yeah so because I was like how do you land jokes with your back to yeah. two thirds of the audience all the time. And actually you can't because if you're moving enough and we had like uh, different, like I think there were three entrances to the space. And so I would sometimes stand in those. You can like address almost the whole theater when you're standing in one of those entrances. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it did work. And now if it transfers anywhere or tours, of course it won't be in the round. It will be in mm-hmm. like end on. Yeah traditional theater which which I'm now I've now gone the other way I'm like oh that's maybe that's not going to be as dynamic maybe that's going to be a bit boring so we'll have to kind of redirect it and restage it but it is a it is stand-up comedy but it is fundamentally a play Mm -hmm. the weirdest thing was people thinking that I'd written it because because it was written for me and it is very much it's sort of written in a combination of like my voice and the writer's voice and the writer and I are friends and we're quite similar um, both quite anxious and a little neurotic. I think he wouldn't mind me saying that. And um, and so it it felt really authentic to me, like it could have come from me, yeah. but it very much didn't. Um, but it just seemed to work. The whole thing seemed to work, and it just it went. It was way beyond my expectations. Yeah, that whole run, how well it went. Yeah, I think I might have like cut you off before we mentioned it, but the play is feeling afraid as if something terrible is going to happen. I had to write down the whole title because in my head I know it, but I'm like, I'm not going to get it out. But also, (laughs) I don't remember what award it won specifically towards the end of Edinburgh. We won, so we won two awards, which was amazing. In the first week, um, we won won a stage, 
Yeah, I okay, sure. I won a Stage Edinburgh Award for the acting, and then in the final week, we won a Fringe First, which is like the biggest Fringe Award there. Um, so, and that's really for the play, for the writing, yeah. Um, which I was thrilled we got because I like honestly, I think the writing is so good, mm-hmm. and it's 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 almost so good you don't notice you you almost don't notice how good the writing is because it's so good it seems so effortless and I'm so pleased that um that that was actually recognized yeah my friend sent me um a google because she bought the script but she's like I didn't ship anything to America so I didn't send you the script so she sent me a google doc of like images so she took a photo of like every single page and I started oh, wow. reading it a little bit yesterday. I'm like, I'm really tired. I'm going to research other things about him. So <laughs> I started to read it a little bit and it's really good. And it just is so smooth. And, it, you know, it is like a, well, it is a dialogue monologue. So it just, it's mm. a very easy mm. read. Um, mm. So, oh, my Siri thinks I'm talking to it. So mm. let's, let's go back now mm. a couple of years ago. So you graduate mm. Lambda. What happens next? Well, I was really lucky that I got an agent in in the, I think the first term of my third year at Lambda. So while I was completing my year, I was also out there auditioning and getting it wrong and, you know, fucking up and learning how not to do it in auditions. And I got out and I started immediately. I was so lucky. I started immediately in TV and theatre. I've always had like I feel so fortunate about this. I've always had a good sort of combination of both screen and theatre, and I will always do theatre. And I think when I look at some of the actors I most admire and, and their careers and the kind of longevity, they always go back to theatre. And it's I love it. And I think it sort of resets me and it helps me... Um, it really helps me learn about acting all the time doing theatre, which you can then apply on screen, for me anyway. Um, but I got straight into, I did an advert and then I had like one line in a sitcom and then I got a supporting role in a sort of Britain's answer to the X-Files. Um, but alongside that, I was I, I did um, a couple of plays in regional theatres and then I got into the National Theatre doing His Dark Materials with Philip Pullman, um, mm-hmm. Nick Heitner directing and from there, The History Boys. And and I had an amazing, amazing run of it, really. Like yeah. so fortunate. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the history boys. Because okay, sure. why not? <laughs> I I mean if, if we must know. If we yeah. have to. Um <laughs> and I was telling people, I'm like, I had to make sure like the whole podcast isn't about the history boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine if it is. I love it. I love it. Okay. Um one of my friends who was like on one of like the early episodes of the podcast, he came over to my old apartment and he wore a history boys hat in my honor. Yeah. I used to work for a Broadway merch company and one of the shows they had was the history boys. God, so, I don't even have a history boys cap. I, don't know. I love all the merch. I <laughs> I have I have nothing for you. I have a no, it's fine. It's history fine. boys poster. Look, I'll look I'll look on eBay. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they I'm sure they have something. I have it like a very large History Boys t-shirt that I couldn't find. I'm like, I don't have to show Sam. I just need to have it out for myself. 
<laughs> then I was like scrambling. I'm like, I don't have time to look and I can't find it. I'm like, the mug is fine. Um, so you actually worked a lot with Nicholas Heitner and he's also, he also, I think he directed Center Stage, which means a lot to like people of my generation. Mm, um, yeah. So how did the History of Boys come about? Because that was like, what, two years out of your life and you traveled the world with it. You did a movie, which I also want to talk about the ending of the movie and the play and uh, the radio play of it too. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think History Boys came about because Nick Heitner, um, he's always been so supportive and he he came to Lambda to watch some of my final shows and then he he cast me in the workshops of his Dark Materials and whilst we were performing his Dark Materials there was a reading for the History Boys really for Nick and Alan Bennett to just hear it mm -hmm. and I was cast as Posner in the workshop but Alan um, had written that in the original draft that Posner's voice hasn't broken yet and that it sort of breaks at the end of the show. <laughs> just like, Nick was like, I don't know, I don't know how practical that's going to be. Yeah. Um, and also in order to get, to get a boy whose voice genuinely hadn't broken, you'd be having to look far too young for, mm -hmm. in terms of the actor. So it took a while, um, but Nick did persuade Alan that I, I should be the one because actually between doing the workshop and getting the job there was a six-week period where I heard nothing and I was like and they were auditioning I think lots of other people for that mm. role and I was kind of going slightly bananas about the whole thing because I just there was something about that role when I read it I just was like it, it's like Alan's written me. He's just written me down. And it was so me in so many ways. And it was one of those where I just, I remember thinking, and there's there's been the odd job over the years where I've had this thought and this feeling of like, if this doesn't go my way, then something's wrong. Because it's like those, and I don't really believe in this, but it's like those things that feel so destined for you and that was one of them where I was just like, this is, this is my role. <laughs> so, and but I had no power to do anything about it. And um, then after about six weeks later, after the workshop, I got the call saying you've been offered the role. And I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And, um, and it went from there. Yeah, we did. We did the national, we did the radio play, we did the movie, and then we did the world tour and Broadway. And it really was, God, it's just the show that kept on giving. It was, and it was kind of three years of my life because it was 2004, 2005, 2006. Oh, yeah. And um, I felt like I had a really weird, um, this has happened before actually, since then, when you play a role for a very long time, and I am not like a method actor or anything, but mm. it sort of gets in by osmosis and... Yeah. I was I was 26 when I stopped playing a 17-year-old every day for eight shows a week. And I stopped and it's like my body changed. It's like I grew up. At the next couple of months after I stopped playing that role, uh, emotionally things changed and physically people were commenting on like, I looked different. And I was like, that's so weird. And I think it was playing a teenager in my 20s for three years. Yeah. Um, and it was an amazing job, but I, I did need to move on from that. And it, it had an impact. Like, I will never 
I, I love my association with the History Boys. I will never complain about that because it gave me a platform in this industry, which is so hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did have an impact on my casting because for three years, people have kind of seen me as a 17 year old and like I'm approaching 30. I can't get away with that anymore. I yeah. need to change my casting. And it was it was a sort of weird transition. Yeah. Um, but it did give me the most amazing platform and the job itself and and the cast, like just everything about that job was, it was glorious. It yeah. was just glorious. I loved it. I mean, all of you have moved on to such fantastic things. I mean, Jamie Parker has an Olivia. He played Harry Potter, like on the West mm. End Broadway, he was in becoming Elizabeth. You know, we all know about James Corden and Dominic Cooper and, Sasha mm. Darwin, he's on the grade, and you did another show with him. And um, Andrew Scott is still doing like TV, and so's Samuel, whose last name I can't think of. Samuel Anderson. Yes. Um, yeah. Andrew Knott. You mean Andrew Knott? Andrew, who did I say? Andrew Scott. Oh my God. Andrew Scott. I'm thinking hashtag obsessed. Hashtag, hashtag obsessed. <laughs> I knew. I was like that. I was saying that loud. I'm like that. I don't think that's his name. <laughs> but I'm it's going okay. with it. It's okay. Yeah, no, it was funny because he's doing not to talk about like Andrew Scott for a second, but I'm no, going. Let's talk about Andrew Scott. I love. We could just Scott. talk about Andrew Scott the whole time. Let's when I was in that. London five years ago, he was doing a production of Hamlet. I'm like, I just I can't mm-hmm. sit through Hamlet. And then like years later, I'm like, I should have seen it because it's the hot. Isn't it on? Um, isn't it on NT Live? Didn't they do an NT Live broadcast? Meaning that you can that you can get hold of it. Probably. I mean, I did see an NT live of his um, uh, Noel Coward show that I can't think of the title of. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. I can't think of it either. But I, yes, I remember at the old fic that was, I think. Yeah. But also, I just I don't think I can sit through three hours of Hamlet. OK. OK. You, well, you don't have to. I mean, nobody is making you do that. You I mean, know? last time so... I sat through three hours of Hamlet, it turned out I had a sinus infection. So... <laughs> 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 I was sitting there like suffering. Do you think it was brought? Yeah. Do you think the sinus infection was brought on by three hours of Hamlet? Because if that's the case, you don't want to sit through another three hours because who knows what you'll get next time. I don't know. I it wasn't so. also a really great production of Hamlet, so maybe. Okay. Not okay. to not let's, I'm no. not saying who was in the production. No, let's not was. say you can tell me later. Yes, but um, sitting through three hours of Hamlet with a sinus infection, I was like, this is not right. Yeah, no, um, no. Yeah. No. You but, don't need to repeat that. No, I would because he's in the new Lena Dunham movie, Catherine Called Birdie, and there was um, a review that said, like, from hot priest to, like, hot medieval dad. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> we'll all go and see that. Yes. Well, anyway, Andrew Knott. So yes, yes. I think I know the reason why this happened. Um, but mm. why did they change the ending to the movie? Was it because they couldn't do the flash forward scenes in the film? Not to spoil no. anything. No, it's just um, they just wanted a slightly they wanted a slightly different ending for Posner. Um, my my ending was slightly different. Um, they didn't want him to end up so sort of seemingly isolated and depressed and I always thought it was a bit of a shame because you know I I like the Alan Bennett bittersweet 
ending. You know, that Posner has all, he, Posner gets into, you know, they get into Oxford and Cambridge and they have all this promise and actually Posner ends up a very lonely, unhappy person. But then there was the argument that, well, hold on, why are all the gay characters um, dying or ending up unhappy? So, mm-hmm. so in that respect, it was, it was right for the film that they kind of changed that and, and swapped that around a bit. Um, I mean, uh, I just think, I'm so I'm I'm so glad we have the film. Like back then, there was no NT Live. There is no real record of, mm-hmm. of the show. Oh, there um, it is. It's, it lives I, on YouTube. I'm, I mean, there is. Yeah. I mean, it's on YouTube, sure. But but um, <laughs> but I think I I um play the project is always like a place in mm-hmm. version. We're having this um, issue. Oh, there oh, you go. Am I back? back? Sorry, have I frozen? Yeah, you're good now. Oh, are we back? Are we're we back. back? You, you, you froze a little bit. This is what happens, guys. Intercontinental or continental. Okay. You're not quite yeah. Yeah. Okay, you're not quite back on my end. Hold on. Oh Can no, I... we're gone again. Oh, oh, no, oh we back. 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 I always like wonder like what we're weird back. freeze frame I am. You're fine. It's good. Don't worry. Oh, I can you 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 were like this. Oh, perfect. Like that. A really nice smile. Really oh, nice. Oh, great. Thank yeah. you. I brushed my teeth. So, you know, have a day. Um, <laughs> I think we froze again, guys. Oh, should we riff more? Oh, God, there it's cutting are. out again. No, this it's is fine. So, I'm so sorry. This is so annoying. Yeah, we're back. We're sorry. Back. It must be my end, but it says I've got like perfect internet and yet it keeps. Anyway, it happens. Don't worry. It, it must be a too. transatlantic thing. It's Zoom, don't worry. I think we're frozen again. No, we're gone again. Um, no, we're back. I'm also, maybe I'm going to... We're frozen again. This is terrible. This is terrible for your podcast. Sorry, podcast listeners. This is... Um, That's what makes no, it so great. It's really rough and ready to go. I'm... So I'm, move, I'm moving rooms. See if yes, that makes I a like difference. I like how I got so... a mini tour of where you're staying. <laughs> And it's my weighted blanket behind me. Oh, Can't I've always that. wanted one, but I'm like, I can't afford it. So I'm not going to buy one. Maybe for Christmas. It was it was, a, it was a present for me. So I didn't even pay for it. So this is why I'm affording this. Because it's a present. Um. Anyway, I don't know how much you've got of what I was going on about. Because I can't remember where I froze. It's okay. We were talking about the ending of the movie. Oh, the script. Yeah. Yeah. I was so... I, I was saying, yeah, the, the, the play is always going to have a really special place in my heart because I, I, it felt like as close to perfect as a play that you can get. And I'm really glad we have the movie version mm-hmm. as a record of it. Um, but it was a different animal. It was, a, it was just by being a different medium, a sort of a different show. And what's really lovely, though, is um, these days, most people who go, oh, I loved you in the History Boys are actually talking about the movie. So they've, they've taken the movie to heart which is lovely and of course if you haven't seen the play version you don't know any different mm-hmm. and I don't mean to be down on the movie version because I'm not at all it's just yeah the play was just such a special experience so I, again yeah. I I completely understand that having I'm not even going to tell you how many times I saw it on Broadway within a month um <gasps> okay but tell me <laughs> 10 yeah okay okay <laughs> Well, but it's okay because I've seen the musical six, uh, seven times so far. I I understand that completely. The show is awesome. 
So yeah, yeah no. Yeah, I, 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 that's also when I was in college and I could like afford to do that and was like willing to like wake up early and go to the theater and get rush tickets. Yeah. Tickets were actually not expensive as they are yeah, now. I did that. Um, I did that for when rent came to the West End. Mm-hmm. I would, I would get up really early and stand in line for that and get like 10 pound front row tickets. I think I saw that about six times. Yeah. <laughs> Obsessed. Yeah. But I saw like the history boys within like in a month for like 10 times and I became like, wow. Yeah, really obsessed. Still am. That's <laughs> why I'm like, I can't believe Samuel Burn is doing So that's why, like, when I announce you, people will understand, like, why sure. the deal. So, got it. Yes. So the History Boys is done. So you were saying, mm-hmm. like, do you think it was a little typecasting for you because you were saying how, you know, for these three years you were playing a teenager and it was kind of hard for people? to maybe see you differently or like they notice that there was a change in you physically? I think typecasting is such an interesting thing because in a, in a way, because competition in this industry is mm-hmm. so difficult, there are just so many of us, in a way it's like, yeah, bring on the typecasting. Like if there's a niche that I can, if there's a corner that I can have, great. I'll play all those roles. Brilliant. Yeah, It's more that I was in this weird transition of being sort of, still looking young Mm -hmm. but too old to play those young roles anymore but not old enough to actually play my age or around my age sort of not looking old enough and that seemed like it went on for years but I realize now that what that's meant is I've played some really interesting roles because I my casting isn't and I don't think ever has been completely obvious yeah also also in terms of queerness the industry hasn't is slowly changing so so now it's like if there's a if there's a gay role that suits me i will be auditioning for that whereas i think back then it was still a bit like oh don't ask don't tell like you know we don't have to hide our sexuality but maybe don't mention it and so my casting has definitely changed along those lines there was a point where i was playing probably well actually many more straight roles than I was um, gay characters. It's just the History Boys was such a noticeably um, sort of successful thing on my CV that it looked like that was the gay role that I played and like, therefore I played gay roles. But actually I look at my CV and I go, oh no, like it's really gay and straight. These days, who knows? I mean, I'm happy to play (laughs) whatever. And I'm also very happy to just, you know, play gay roles and and I'm not bothered about being typecast like bring it on typecast me give me the work great love it I think you're just happy to get work I guess right yeah you know what I just go after 20 years I'm still working I've just finished a play I've been cast in a in a couple of movies I'm like that's that's winning for me that is winning I love that I love that I still get to do what I love doing yeah. yeah. So let's talk about your reunion with Jamie Parker in Rosencrantz. Because uh, I remember when that was announced and I was like, I really need to go to London, which I didn't. But sure. but I will say the first show I did see or the only show I ever saw in the West End was at the Haymarket Theater where Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead played. So I kind of felt a little like, OK, this is where the reunion was. So I'm good. Yeah. 
So how did that come about? And was it planned to have like History Boys reunion kind of, or is just no? Okay. I think there was, I think that may, might have been <clears throat> part of it in terms of um, Trevor Nunn and the casting directors thinking that it, that it was a good sort of gimmick, I guess, to get two History Boys back together. But I, but it didn't happen on purpose. They were auditioning lots of people and they auditioned Jamie and I, and I think they, because we had chemistry, like, we was we were good friends and we so we and and we'd worked together for three years like we knew each other's timing and it was glorious really it was like slipping back into something really really comfortable working with Jamie again it was the same working with Sasha on um Hallelujah mm-hmm. the other Alan Bennett play we did together mm-hmm. you know twelve years after we'd finished the History Boys but also Sasha and I had also grown a lot closer as well during those 12 years. So it, so I remember during rehearsals for that, it was really weird to be acting with him again because he was my friend. He yeah. wasn't like just my work colleague. We'd become friends through the History Boys and, and subsequently. So I remember the first time we tried to do a scene together, we just kept laughing in each other's faces because it was so weird to be acting at one another with one another. It was really weird. But in both instances, with Jamie and with Sasha, it was so, it was so lovely. And I also did a TV show with Sasha and that really was weird. He was playing, he was playing my boss. And um, he was playing, God, he was playing such a fucked up character in this uh, show with Zoe Ashton um, called Not Safe for Work. And um, (laughs) it was so much fun, but again, incredibly weird acting with Sasha also because I find with filming sorry I'm going off on a tangent here but that's I, what this I, podcast is don't worry okay great because <laughs> I, I find with filming like because you're on location or in a studio but you're but you're really setting up like the re- the physical reality mm-hmm. unlike on a stage where it you know you might have props and a bit of set or you might have a non-naturalistic mm-hmm. version of things tv and film it they make it feel so real that it's so much easier to suspend disbelief and to become that character in a way. Um, so when I was sitting there with Sasha, it <laughs> was my boss, me as his, his subordinate and having this kind of awkward, weird scene with each other. It was so weird acting that with a friend and having to get past that thing of being able to look into one another's eyes and know that we are playing other people right now I can't really describe it it was just so weird but then again once we'd got over that initial kind of laughing in each other's faces and going why are we pretending to act with each other this is really fucked up and weird it was glorious because I was working with someone whose timing I understood and who's and also seeing you know, because I'd seen Jamie and Sasha, you know, do one role for three years and they'd seen me do one role and suddenly we were all playing other people and I was just kind of watching them going, God, they're such good actors. Like, they are such good actors. So it's amazing. It's acting with your best friends and admiring them at the same time. Yeah. That's always great to see and hear, you know, especially since, like you said, you've seen them play the same role for so many years and you've known them for so many years. So that's really mm. exciting. So, um, because we are a little time strained. Um, mm. let's move on. So, how did Twelfth Night and Richard the Third happen? Was that also an audition? And what yeah. was it like performing at the Globe? Because I feel like that's kind of, it's kind of incredible. 
Look, I was I was told early on in my career that 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 if you're lucky, really, really amazing jobs come along once every 10 years. And right at the beginning, I had History Boys. And then 10 years later, I had Richard III and Twelfth Night at the Globe. 10 years after that, almost, I've had this solo show at Edinburgh. Like, it really does seem like in terms of theatre jobs, like it, that that once every 10 years has been true. And Richard III and Twelfth Night was just an audition. I'd never done Shakespeare professionally. I'd been out of drama school for, um, gosh, how long? 11 years at that point. I'd done Shakespeare at drama school and hated it. And I didn't really enjoy watching it. I didn't really enjoy doing it. And these roles came up and I jumped at it because it was Mark Rylance and because it was the Globe. And thank God, Tim Carroll, the director, had a method that he used for Shakespeare and he stuck religiously to it and I followed it religiously and it worked. It unlocked Shakespeare for me in a way that I didn't think was possible. And also, again, you know, and it, it really wouldn't and shouldn't happen now. But getting to play women, getting to play those female roles at that point in my career when I was still in this weird grey area of too young to play, too, yeah, looking too young to play my age, but being too old to play however young I looked. There weren't that many roles out there for me, it seemed. And suddenly I got to play these two extraordinary roles. Well, no. So first of all, it was Queen Elizabeth and Richard III. But I was playing Sebastian in Twelfth Night. And I was so glad, like Sebastian is... It's a smaller role and I felt much less pressure. I felt like I could find my way, but then God, the globe experience is amazing because you really do feel that contact with the audience in a way that you just don't really get in many other theatres and something so immediate and unpredictable about all of that, completely freeing. And then we got to move on to the West End and then Broadway. And then on Broadway, I, I um, manipulated my way into playing <laughs> into playing Viola because the actor Johnny Flynn, who was playing Viola, um, who is just extra. I mean, he is extraordinary as an actor and as a person, one of the nicest people you could ever meet. And he wasn't going to America with it. And I just I cornered the director and just said, "Look, I I just I have a feel for this role, Viola. I just have a feel for it and." I would do just audition me just please audition me because I think I can show you what I can do I now can't remember if I auditioned or not but I got the part and and I you know what it was as a as a gay person and the kind of queer roles that were around at the time for someone like me there weren't really any gay romantic lead roles that I was getting offered mm-hmm. and I related to Viola because I related to unrequited love and I same as in Posner in the History Boys I, that's what I've related to and 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 I related to all those feelings that Shakespeare puts into that character regardless of the gender and I just had I just had an instinct for it and it was another one of those roles where I went gosh if this doesn't go my way then something's off because I feel it in my bones. I just have a feel for this. And um and it it went it went well. And we I did it, I got, you know, to play Viola on Broadway. And not only that, to be 
nominated for an award for, for doing Shakespeare. <laughs> it's just like, how is that ever a thing for me? And then it happened. It was, yeah. it, it's so weird because History Boys was the most extraordinary experience on Broadway. And then it's like Twelfth Night and Richard III was also the most extraordinary experience of Broadway. I was like, you don't get to do that twice, surely. And and I did. I'm very lucky. Yeah. Well, maybe your next Broadway experience will be the same thing. We, we just, <laughs> I mean, in 10 years from now. Or at least, you know, I yeah. hope so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'm going to read the whole title again. Where is it? I'm going to find it. Feeling I'll tell you, Feeling Afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Feel, yeah, the short version. Yeah. Maybe we'll we do call it like, feeling afraid. Yeah. Feeling afraid. How feeling we afraid. all feel. Well, how we I mean, all feel. The title is very true, just mm. like in life in general. But not mm. to get like philosophical on the podcast at this moment. No, love it. Let's have a bit of philosophy. But it's it's interesting how many people go, oh wow, that's literally the story of my life. That title, and I I totally get it. Yeah. I also I think um you know sidebar, but that it it's um it's about a gay stand up comedian. But what's so great about it is that um, an audience member was quoted as saying, if you've ever been in any kind of relationship with a human being, this play is for you. Because it is just about our fear of intimacy and being vulnerable and being seen and being loved and being hurt and all of that stuff and sabotaging ourselves and all of those great things, which which crosses genders and sexualities. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a... Um, it's great that something that is so queer can have such um, mass appeal. I'm really, I think that's very clever in the writing. Yeah, I think it's also because something is going so well in your life, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop because that's just what life is. Constantly, yeah. constantly, constantly. And actually, yes, to get completely philosophical, that I, I've I've sort of learned that those that is how you have to roll with the punches. That really, whether it's career or relationships or family or whatever it is life really does go in peaks and troughs and i i kind of have learned to ride those waves and 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 really the most like the best thing that i've learned is that absolutely everything passes which is good news and bad news because that means the peaks pass as well yeah but but so do the troughs like the low bits also pass and finally at my ripe old age having finally learned that is really comforting because it's actually helped me have a much better perspective on this industry for one thing which I think can drive people literally insane actually not figuratively I think it can drive people really really it can make people unwell being in this industry and the sort of the desire to work and the feeling of rejection you can get and the the need to be creative which can be so unfulfilled so often because you don't get the work like that it is enough if you do that for a long time it is enough to really <laughs> make you unwell so to have that perspective that actually the good times come and the bad times come and they all go as well is it's yeah. really freed me up has there mm. been because I mean again in doing my research you've had a pretty you know you've been doing you've been working for over 20 years and you've had like a nice steady stream of work but has there ever been like a lull of time where you just weren't getting jobs it's so interesting that it looks like I've had a steady stream of work because that is not how it's been. And it's great that, you know, I recognize that my CV makes it look like that, mm -hmm. my resume, um, because, um, 
you know, when I look through it, I'm like, oh, you did this this year and this year and this year, you know. But actually, I worked for so right from the beginning, I have never ever gone job to job to job ever. There are always gaps. Sometimes four months, sometimes nine months, sometimes six months. The longest was 2019, where I um, had uh, two days. Uh, no, I had two weeks filming at the beginning in February. And then I had two days filming in December. I think I had four auditions in the intervening time and no work. And that was it. And that was not the first time that's happened. It was the longest. I also recognize how lucky I am that it was only nearly a year that I didn't work for because I also know some people who don't work for two years, five years, and then suddenly get a job. So I recognize my, my privilege in that. For me personally, it was weird. Talk about silver linings. That period in 2019, where it was so long between work, between jobs, um, made me finally face that thing of going, you cannot rely on this industry. You can't rely on acting to give you your sense of identity in life. You have to separate your sense of self off from anything to do with the industry. And the reason that was so good that happened then was because suddenly 2020 and 2021, we have a pandemic whereby no one really, apart from the very privileged few in terms of our industry, suddenly most actors were not able to work. And I know quite a lot of people who had to go through that detaching themselves from the industry and that disidentification with their work and their job, their sense of self as I am an actor and therefore I act and that is who I am and what I do and going oh my god if I don't what do I, who am I if I'm not acting what am I worth have I got any value if I'm not acting and I thought I mean you can probably tell but I've had a lot of therapy and yeah it's still hit I'm in therapy me myself in so. I mean I am too constantly we all need it. it love it love processing um but I but you know after all those years in therapy to still hit that wall in 2019 of going oh my god I still haven't cracked the fact that I get myself worth from acting that it's not sustainable because what if it stops and of course it stops all the time i do a job and then it finishes so a lot of people have to go through that in the last two years and i know for a lot of people it was very painful i feel so lucky that i went through that before the pandemic uh, i didn't have to do that alongside the terrible pandemic that we had yeah. um and I have come out of it differently. I've come out like I lost someone during the pandemic. So that's changed my perspective on things. And I've come out feeling like I've got a much better perspective on the industry and on myself. I, I have no expectations anymore. And that's literally the most freeing thing in the world is having no expectations. So I know it sounds kind of wanky, but then every job that comes along does feel like a surprise. It does feel like a gift. Um rather than being entitled in any way to it. I don't know how I got onto that. Sorry, don't know how that's... It's fine. Don't know where that came from. But that's my perspective on it now, really. No, it's a great perspective to have. And I, I always think it's nice to, um, you know, it mean, sounds like you're just grateful every time a job comes around and you're not like... I really am. Well, guess what, guys? I'm like this amazing <laughs> person and I just like, I, I don't like egos and stuff like that. And just like really, you know, but mm. hearing how grateful you are that like things come around. Um, So mm. you had a TV show with BBC America. Mm. Dirk. 
mm-hmm. Bentley's holistic detective agency. That took me a very yeah. long time to come out of my phone. <laughs> but but that's like, because it's a very long title. It's a very long title. Nothing so. beats feeling afraid as if something terrible is going to happen. I, I, um, I, only, I, only, I, own, I basically only do shows that have really long titles. And if they don't, I say no. Go on. So. Yeah, go on. <laughs> like, moving, like, in your career, you're in a good place where you're like, it's not my self-worth. However, if it doesn't have a long title, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not Sorry. doing it. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. agency. So yeah. how did, was that also an audition? Yeah. I mean, that, again, like dreamy, hardly ever happens. I just, they'd, they'd been auditioning, I think, on two or three continents at this point to find Dirk Gently. And and I just, um, I went into a little room in London and put myself on tape with the with um, Kate Rhodes-James. She was casting in the UK and her um, casting assistant was there putting people on tape. And I learned it, put myself on tape. And weirdly, my, my partner said, you really suit this. When I was like going through the line to them, and I was like, I don't, this is not me at all. I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, I'll just say it quickly. <laughs> Turns out saying it quickly <laughs> was, was the out. thing. Because yeah. two weeks later, I got the dream call, which you just never get. I've had it maybe a couple of times in my career, but the dream call going, um, they want to fly you out and screen test you. And I was like, uh, okay, terrified. And then get there and they're like, um, Elijah Wood's going to be in it. So you're going to be screen testing with him. And I was like, oh my God, I can't because because huge fan, just huge, like fanboying out. I was like, how can I act with him? And then, and then... I packed, I was meant to be flying in for two days and flying out. I packed like two pairs of underpants and I ended up staying nearly two weeks because they kept sort of delaying and calling me back in and sort of chemistry tests and screen tests and all that. And then flew home and was like, I, it was weird. It was another one of the, okay, I know I've said this, but it was another one of those where I was like, in my bones, mm-hmm. this job's mine. And then, I got the call at 3 a.m. because obviously LA was what eight hours behind. And I got the call at 3 a.m. saying you got the job and I cried. <laughs> I burst into tears because I was suddenly terrified about doing it. I was so terrified about doing it. Yeah. Um, and it was an amazing experience. And, you know, yeah, I think, you know, if people difficult to know how to say this, but yeah, I think if people, you know, Google, they can find out why we didn't go on to do the five seasons that we were originally sort of um, contracted for, but we did two and they went down really well. And the community that sprung up around them still remains absolutely gorgeous. It was, a, it's, it's created this sort of really, um, I think because of the, 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 the message of the show about everything being connected and, and, and also, you know, the, the, the queerness of the show there was an underlying queerness to the show which was actually going to come out more in season three and i think i think people who who that that resonated i think for a lot of people and the people that it resonated for recognized it and saw it and just were just just they were in and so it created this really sort of lovely community which still every now and then people get in touch or they come and see a show and and it's it's great i i love the dirk gently community because it's full of um, people who feel um, they might not be part of the mainstream. 
but who suddenly feel okay to be themselves. I just, I always find it amazing when, when, because what we do as actors is pretty frivolous and pretty self-involved. And then every now and then you do a job that seems to affect people in a really lovely way. And the History Boys did that and Dirk did that. And it, if you've helped somebody <laughs> by just being self-indulgent and pursuing something that you love to do, then that just feels like such a great privilege and a real honour. And and that's why like I I want to give time to people who who feel connected to that because they're part of it and I'm part of it. Well, yeah. History boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you didn't know when you said yes to doing this. I want to ask like on a personal cuz I'm really upset it's not getting a season 2. The animated mm. show The Prince. The fact that Francis Delator was the voice of the queen and it was funniest i i can cuss funniest shit i ever heard and the fact that it was francis de la torre was just like a gift from like whoever casted her in that part yeah yeah i loved that job and of course there was sasha dewan in that Mm -hmm. francis de la torre the three of us from the history boys i just had the best time absolutely gutted that it's not getting a season two i think Actually, I think it was too political. Mm. I think, I kind of think it was shut down, really. Um, I think it was very funny. And I'm, yeah, I'm really sad that it's not getting a season two. So, um, because I think it's really good. It's really good. It's really irreverent. And it's actually, it's, it's weirdly, it's one of those that started getting reactions from people who hadn't even seen it. You Mm. know, this is so inappropriate and all this stuff. And actually, it was a love letter to the royal family it was a love letter to prince george if people had bothered to watch it they would see that actually it was um it was it was incredibly loving and and so and actually also so far away from the royal family as as it was almost just like they were the inspiration they were not the thing it's not like the crown yeah you know well isn't so. there also <coughs> excuse me a show it's on my netflix queue called windsor about the yeah. family yeah yeah I was talking to my mom about it the other day and I said that um, there was this play on Broadway called King Charles the Third. And the oh, guy- Oh yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It was like yeah. Lee Bates Macbeth. Um, and cause you know, the queen just passed and I was saying how mm. it was about what happens once the queen passes. But I was saying the guy who plays Prince Harry in the play is playing him on this TV show, Windsor. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny it's funny what what what's been allowed and what hasn't do you know yeah. what i mean because it's like that play was allowed and the winds has been allowed and the crown and all of that but somehow the prince was just what i don't know step too far i don't know really odd oh. really odd yeah. I don't know. Maybe- but you're right francis de, francis de la tour is the queen oh my god is is just the biggest gift she plays her like a gangster she plays her like a mob gangster the head of a mob gangster she's just so funny yeah i was i was telling my friend i'm like you have to watch this and like francis delegator as the queen is like the funniest shit i've ever heard yeah. it's like the main yeah. reason to watch it yeah absolutely and you know orlando bloom's my boyfriend in it so that's the other reason for me to watch it 
<laughs> I'm trying to remember. Because basically, because yeah. I play um, Donald and Donald and his partner. Oh my God, I can't remember what his partner is, but he's basically, he's in a relationship with one of the other um, servants and that's voiced by Orlando Bloom, who I, who I didn't get to meet or anything, yeah. but you know, nice that he Good. plays my boyfriend can... in an alternative reality. When I was in high school, I had a cardboard cutout of Orlando Bloom as Legolas and he was my boyfriend. So uh, I... This is weird. Oh. Uh, do you know, do you know a podcast called This Is Love? I feel like I've heard of it. Do they talk about having a cardboard cutout it, of Legolas? Yes. Yes. Because because uh, the latest episode of This Is Love, Phoebe Judge, that's that's who um does the podcast. The latest episode, I believe, is about um fans and fan fiction, but also interviewing mainly this this um person who just adored Orlando Bloom. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was Orlando Bloom. Anyway, they had a big cutout. And I was suddenly like, oh my God, was that you? But no, it's not. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Imagine <laughs> if it was. Surprise! <laughs> podcast one week. I've never been asked to come on a podcast. Um, also selfishly, because I call her Queen Laura Linney. Oh. John at right. I... I met her at stage doors only. And the two times I've met her, I cried. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so John Adams, which was also a huge hit as well. um, Mm. What was it like working on that? A dream. It was, again, it was a a dream because the history boys finished and I didn't work for six months and everyone assumed I would just get all the jobs. And I didn't because people didn't know what to do with me. And then John Adams came along and working with those people, with Andrew Scott, with Paul Giamatti. God, suddenly forgot his name. It's because I was watching a programme the other day about Giacometti. It's not Giacometti, Paul Giamatti. And and Laura Linney and all those amazing actors. And Laura and I became friends and we still are. And she FaceTimed me a a couple of months ago. And I just, the sweetest thing when I was, I think it was when I was doing, um, yeah, it was. It was when I was doing Twelfth Night. On Broadway, and she didn't tell me she was coming, and I got you know over the tannoy. Uh, Sam, you've got a guest at stage door, and I walked down. And it was Laura Linney, and I think I burst into tears as well. She is everything you want her to be, and more. And I just I adore her, and she's one of the most. Not only, I mean Ozark. I can't, I cannot with Ozark. It is so good, and she is so good in it. Not only is she one of like our best actors alive today, she's also one of the most down to earth unpretentious just egoless brilliant um authentic people that I've met I love her I love her yeah I do too and I I can have an entire podcast about the history boys and another one all about Laura Linney you're welcome (laughs) to come back and talk about both um yeah no I just I there's I think during the pandemic it was she was like oh I have all of these postcards and if you want like donate and I'll like send you a postcard so like sitting on my bookshelf which is mostly covered in candles um (laughs) uh thank you Bath and Body Works um I have a postcard that she like wrote out to me so I have a postcard oh that's gorgeous yeah and I just love her I don't know her personally but one day that would be great anyway Mm. So now that we're winding down, let's talk about mm. what are your top theater going experiences? Do you have any? Were you yeah, prepared for I do. the list? I hope. Sorry, say again. I, a list, a list. Yes, okay. Uh, 
yes. So the first one on my list is by um, uh, a playwright and performer called Tim Crouch. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a play called The Author, which was on at the Royal Court Theatre where I, when I saw it. And there was no stage. It was two banks of seating, which the audience sat in facing each other. That was it. There was no stage in the middle. And Tim and I think three other actors sat in the audience and did the play. And it was and remains the most visceral, um, slightly terrifying, unnerving experience I have ever had in a theatre. Because it was like, talk about the power of theatre. All they really did, these actors, was sit and tell a story. Occasionally, they would turn the lights out. And it was the most sort of pure form of theatre and storytelling that I've ever seen. Someone on uh, the subject matter was incredibly challenging and came with all sorts of, well, it would now come with all sorts of trigger warnings. People left because they were offended. Someone on the front row, a big tall guy on the front row, fainted. I, at one point, felt so affected. I've never had this in the theatre. I thought I might pass out. I was so, it was so intense as an experience. And yet we were all just sitting there listening to a story being told. So incredible, just just unreal as, as an experience. My other one is, um, and there are loads really, but what the one that stands out for me is, is um, it's a moment actually. It's just a moment. But Simon Russell Beale mm-hmm. playing Benedict in Much Ado About Nothing at the National Theatre, directed by Nick Heitner. And it was a brilliant production. It was elegant, and it was Zoe Wanamaker playing Beatrice, and an amazing cast. And I knew Much Ado. I'd done Much Ado at drama school, but Simon is such an exquisite actor that um, there's a line where, where he and Beatrice, they've sort of told each other they love each other and all that, and, and she's all kind of upset and distraught about hero being wrongly accused and and she says something like you know what do I do now and he just they were sitting on a bench Simon Russell Beale and Zoe Wanamaker as Benedict and Beatrice and the simplicity of it and he just turned to her and said serve God love me and amend and it was so beautiful (laughs) like I'm not a religious person in any way There was just something about the spirit of it and the simplicity of that moment, the way he delivered it, the the thing between them. It touched me. I I just sobbed. And so did quite a few people around me. It it was like in, in anyone else's hands, that might be a completely throwaway line. And in his, it was like the crux of not only the piece, not only the play, but like also kind of how to live. You know, it was like a little manual um and so that was amazing and then um almost every musical i've ever seen is a highlight um i am <laughs> i'm slightly obsessed with musicals desperate to be in one one day um, you have done music i mean you were in a kiss of a spider woman wasn't that your last one at the uh it was the play it was the oh, play was version. The... oh yeah. well, because you can yeah. carry a tune I mean, I can carry a tune. I get, I get very far in musical theatre auditions, and I just never get the job. Yeah. So I will keep going for them. And at some point, something I did like, get cast in Hair, um, in London, but I couldn't 
I couldn't do it because it clashed with something else, which I'm gutted about because that would have been an amazing was experience. Was that like the Broadway revival that came over to London? Or was this a different... I don't know. This was years ago, mm-hmm. years and years ago. So no, it wasn't that one. No, this is back in like the early 2000s or maybe mid to late. But anyway, um, so every musical, um, I think I said to you, I have, yeah, I have seen six, seven times now and there will be an eighth and a ninth. Um, and I just something though I mean there will be Make it something double. about I'm gonna I'm gonna go into double figures there is something about musical theater that touches me in a way that nothing else quite does it's a very singular experience for me I feel I can cry at the drop of a hat when something is sung beautifully mm-hmm. when musical theater is bad I find it painful when it's good, it's like the best theatre-going experience I've ever had. Yeah, And like to name just a few from like the last few years, there would be Matilda, Dear Evan Hansen, Hamilton, Six. Um, those four just spring to mind. Um, Fun Home. Just, I don't know. I it, It's one of those things where I sit there and I go, oh, wow, as much as I'd love to do that, I don't know if I could ever do that. And I'm full of just admiration every time I see it done well. And mm-hmm. see stories told in that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you should just be in six. I think we should make it happen. I mean, yes. Yes. Right. Come I, on. I'm not gonna I'm a big fan of Tudor history. So um when I found out that there was a musical about the six wives of Henry the Eighth, I laughed my ass off. But then like <laughs> researching it more, I'm like, this actually like seems pretty great. And Have you seen it? I did. I saw it on Broadway. I'm dying to see it again because I know the person who plays Catherine Howard. And when I went to see the show, she wasn't in it. So I have to go back. Uh, and yeah. Go back. I, I just found it. I found it incredibly mm-hmm. witty yeah. and, and, and actually moving. And it was like a Spice Girls concert yeah. alongside the Guilty Feminist podcast. It was just, it was so... I just, I don't know. I love it. I love it so much. I don't know why I love it so much. I, I come out feeling empowered. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I, yeah. think, I feel like musical theatre makes me feel weirdly emotionally empowered and it's so cathartic. Yeah. I love it. I mean, my last podcast, I was telling uh, who I had on. No, actually, it wasn't the last podcast. It was one of one of the last ones. Um, mm. If ever I need a really good cry, I just listen to the overture of Light in the Piazza. And then <gasps> and I will just... Oh, and I saw that. I saw the light in the piazza when it was on, was it at the Lincoln Center? Mm-hmm. I just sobbed. Yeah. Sobbed my way through it. I yeah. thought it was exquisite. Oh, that and, um. oh, hello, brain. Spring Awakening. It's another one, where which I saw when it was downtown in, where was it? MTC, maybe? Uh, Atlantic. Um, the, yeah, like before it was on Broadway. And, and mm-hmm. I was just like, I was my mind was blown it that it does that's what it does it blows my mind it 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 sort of stops me thinking for the entire time that I'm watching I just love it I find it quite addictive you're not the only person so Mm. you know Mm. I think you should just come to New York for you know just see a bunch of musicals that are yeah you know and I say that because it's kind of hard when I went to London years ago um I said to my friend, I don't want to see something we can see in New York. So it was kind mm-hmm. of hard to like figure out which one, but we ended up seeing a play, which was great. Cause I was like, this show's mm-hmm. supposed to come to New York. Um, but they have a lot of things that aren't going to be in the West end. I don't think they're going to come soon. 
They have really yeah. Accato with Victoria Clark, Light in the Piazza. Wow. They're yeah. turning almost famous into a musical, which I'm very excited about, but a little tentative about. And I have a friend who's in the show and I have told him that because it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I said, it's one of my favorites. So I'm a little worried, but Cameron Crowe is also working on it. And he's like, it's fine. Yeah. Don't worry. You're going to love it. I'm like, I know I will. Great. I'm going it a little worried. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, and also like the West End has some great stuff too, which I'm trying to think of what's going to transfer. I mean, there's rumors that Cinderella's coming over, but who knows if that's actually coming. Yeah, I heard that too. I heard that's coming. Yeah. yeah. But I agree with Matilda. Matilda was fucking fantastic. And I'm excited for Amazing. The... Yeah. I, I am as well. And I'm, I've am i got an eight-year-old niece. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got a couple of nieces, but one of them's too young, but the other one is eight. And she called me the other day and she said, can we go and see Matilda? And I was like, this is why I wanted to be an uncle. So that mm-hmm. literally, so that I could, I've already taken her to Harry Potter world because she's obsessed with Harry Potter now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she also loves musicals. And I was like, when is she old enough to take to see Matilda? She's old enough when she asks to go. And she mm-hmm. asked to go. And I was like, yes, we're going. And I can't wait. And it will be my sixth time seeing Matilda. Again, I saw History Boys 10 times, so no judgments. <laughs> No judgments. Um, <laughs> any other theater going experiences before we move on to the next? No, I can't think of any, which is terrible because I was making my list and I was like, I know there are others that I've forgotten. I mean, A View from a Bridge, the Eva Van Hove one that I saw with Mark Strong at, at the Young Vic. And I guess, um, although I didn't see it live, I only saw an NT live version, but Streetcar Named Desire with Gillian Anderson again at the Young Vic. I mean, I that, saw it in Brooklyn. Uh, it was incredible. It's, a, it, it's like it would be a dream for me to do anything with Gillian Anderson. Like, that's, I don't really have, I don't really have roles in mind that I want to play, mm-hmm. but there are certain people. Mm-hmm. that I would just, just, it would be everything to yeah. what, do something with them. Well, yeah, that was going to lead into the next question, which was dream roles. But if you don't have... Oh, any- God, I mean, that's terrible. Dream roles, I'm useless. I have, you know, I do, I would love to do a musical. It would have to be the right fit for me, obviously. And, and also I feel a bit presumptuous because, you know, people train for years and years to do musicals and I haven't. Um, but I can sing and I would love to do that. Um I would love a crack at, I mean, who am I? I would love a crack at, um, no one will ever come and watch it. I'll just do it for myself in my front room. I would love a crack at a Hamlet one day. Having done. Do it in the park. Just like, yeah. Gorilla can it. Samuel Barnett, Hamlet. It's Shakespeare. You don't have to pay royalties to do it. Exactly. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it one day, just even in the bathroom. I just, I, it's a, I auditioned, when I auditioned for drama school, it was, you know, I, I, I chose Hamlet speeches as my audition speeches. And again, it's just one of those roles where again, I just go, I just feel like I know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. Like I get it. But even from like the age of 18, there was something about it that I got, which was so naive because it's one of those roles that as you get older, obviously you understand more about it. 
but there's something in it and I would I would love to do that but um in terms of other roles I, I really don't know I really Maybe don't know be like I know that they're doing a musical version of Hamlet somewhere in New York. They're workshopping one. But maybe they'll do a musical version of Hamlet in the UK and you will get cast in your musical of Hamlet. And so to maybe, maybe. Yes. (laughs) Now that we have like one minute left, let's do this. Oh, no, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quickly. Okay. So inside the actor's studio questions. What is your fi- oh oh I I'm getting a FaceTime from someone which is very odd and I don't Ooh. know why this person would be FaceTiming me. <laughs> Maybe a butt dial. Who knows? You know what? Probably. Hold on. <gasps> oh. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Weird. No, we love okay. This. Um what is and my phone is on do not disturb. I don't get it. What is your favorite word? Oh, I don't know how to say it. And it is one of my favorite words because I like the feel of it in my mouth. <laughs> um, is it hom- hom- homogeneity? Homogeneity. I don't even know what it means. It's about everything being the same and 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 uh, homogenous. I think it comes from homogenous, homogeneity. I'm sure I've seen it written down. I like anti-disestablishmentarianism because... Um, I don't even know where where I learned that word, but I learned that word when I was a kid and it was so long and I used to really like writing it down and um, yeah, spelling it. It's the longest it. word in the English language as opposed to... That's super, probably what it is. Yeah, super yes. fragilistic expialidocious, which I cannot say yeah. that word, but Julie Andrews no, said um, yeah, Well, she's the queen, literally. Mm. Um, uh, what is your least favorite word? The, uh, Oh no, that's a hard one. Oh no, I can't think of a least favorite word. I don't have a least favorite word because, because I, because I don't say it if it's my least favorite word. Favorite words, but I don't say them. Um, it's fine. We can move on. What turns we'll you on? on? <gasps> Sexually or? <laughs> you know what's so funny, Daniel Radcliffe when he did Inside the Actor Studio, he said the same thing, and then. It was- <laughs> like well these are your students um so the full question is what turns you on creatively spiritually or emotionally but he usually just well like, you you made me fall you made me fall into that trap then creatively spiritually emotionally do you know what um genuinely what turns me on is um again it's going to be really wanky but connection and heart when yeah. i see things it doesn't matter what it is what kind of media it is whether it's like painting or i don't know the news or a play or a musical whatever when it has heart and connection, I am just there living for it and loving it. And that is on a spiritual level and creative level and a personal level, a familial level. Like in every way, I need connection. And when I don't get it in, in the art that I consume or the friendships that I have or whatever, I just die inside. And I think I've spent quite a few years slowly getting rid of those things people things that don't feed connection for me yeah what turns you off entitlement certainty black and white thinking 
the gray really turns me on the gray because yeah. i think i used to be very black and white and and i think the older i've got the more i realize it's all gray what's your favorite curse word fuck it's a popular one just fuck i mean i also love cunt but i also feel really bad about saying it because I've, and i've tried to i love i love cunt because <laughs> Let's never edit that. I love that though. <laughs> Again, because... I don't edit, so you're good. <laughs> Samuel Barnett, I love him. Uh, I love it because um, it got used so well in the History Boys by Francis de la Tour to such great effect. And it was like the last taboo swear word in Britain and for me as well. Like it was the one you did not say. Mm-hmm. And then I just got used to, so used to using it. But because it is also a part of, you know, uh, anatomy, um, and part of the female or people who identify as female anatomy also, I um, I feel actually, I instead of using that, I go more for dick because I don't want to support the patriarchy. So I will go for a male genitalia word. As, as, or instead word of just using than, the word, just say you're a vagina and then just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Yeah, but I prefer you're a fucking dick. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. There we go. I usually say you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. But of course, it's so different here because we because we don't say asshole. We say asshole with with a r s e. So yeah. it doesn't well, sound as asshole. good coming out of our mouths. It's yeah. It's ass. Yeah. I know. Like fucking asshole sounds so much better. Yeah. Well, you know what? You can use that, and then you'll thank me thank one you. day. I'll when think you come of you back every time. to New York, and then I somehow find you somewhere, and be like, well. I mean, we've we've met twenty years ago. Yeah, no, not twenty years, sixteen, sixteen years ago when we had our picture taken. Twenty, yeah. I was trying to find that photo, and I was like, I think it's on an old like disc drive I have somewhere. But oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what sound or noise do you love? The washing machine. (laughs) I do. I find it really comforting. There's nothing wrong. I think it must be. I think it must be from being a kid. Very you must love doing laundry then, right? I do really like doing laundry. I don't like putting laundry out, mm. but I like putting laundry in. I understand yeah. that. It, there's something kind of nice about it. Um, yeah. I live in an apartment building, so it's always a battle to get like a dryer. So doing laundry. Oh, it must be. Yeah. Yeah. Usually when I go home to Long Island, I bring my laundry just, with me. Just take it all. So you're from Long Island. I am. Which is, I mean, I said I wasn't going to, but of course that's where the play straight line crazy it's all it's all set kind of um around oh, long island oh, so well, yeah know, i haven't so. seen it yet but i'll let you know after i see yeah it. let me know what you think let me know I what you will. think yeah um what sound or noise do you hate is it the dryer <laughs> <I'm just joking>. <laughs> <laughs> what sound or noise do i hate i'm quite um it's maybe more of a it's a collection of things probably because uh at, I find it quite difficult to get to sleep. And if there is any noise at night, so noises at night, noises at night, I'm like, I cannot, I cannot be doing them with, with them. They make me irrationally angry. Yeah. Trying to think like if you were to come back to New York doing a show and the sirens. I would be, I would be putting earplugs in. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Uh, what profession, see, we're circling back to this. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, so um, having had so much of it, 
I'm going to be one of those awful people and say, um, I think the only other thing I would want to do is to be a therapist. I think, um, I, I think I've been in and out of therapy all my life. And so it, it's really natural to me. And especially the therapist I've had for the past however many years is so extraordinary. She's taught me so much about, you know, being a human being and, and I think I've picked up a lot. I don't, I am, um, yeah, I know myself a lot better and I feel like I can, I, I sometimes can see how other people work. And um, so I think it would be a really natural move. Also, as an actor, you're constantly having to just get inside the mind of someone else and figure out, well, why are they doing that? Or or if it's not clear or if it's badly written, you have to make up reasons for why they're doing it. So, um, uh, yeah, that's probably what I would do. Yeah. Well, this is a total side note. has nothing to do with this uh, questionnaire. But would you ever want mm. to direct something? I... So I've done, I've done, I'm quite good at diagnosing what could be better in a scene or in a play, diagnosing what might be in the way when someone's acting. Can't necessarily do it for myself, but I can, I'm quite good at doing it for others. And so I've taught a bit as well, workshops and things. But I'm not where I'm, so I'm good with like specific and detailed stuff. Where I'm not good in life in general is the overview, the big perspective, the bigger picture. I think you just have to have that as a director. I don't have that vision. I'm not a writer and I'm not a director. I don't, I don't have original thoughts. I really don't. Like, give me a script and it, and if it sings for me, I, I can run with it. I can give me that source material and I run with it and work with it. And it, it starts a sort of creative cascade in my brain. But I don't have the original ideas. And I think as a director and as a writer, obviously, you have to have that. So, no, I might have a desire to direct. But I don't think I'd be any good at it. And actually, I don't really have a desire. Either. Perfect. Um, yeah. Well, aside from what profession would you not like to do directing? Is there anything else? Because that's the next question. <laughs> that I wouldn't want to do. Yeah. What profession would you not like to do? Hmm. I would not like to be a politician. I have to, I have to really um, sort of detach from the news and from politics a lot because it's such a game and it's so clear to me that it's a game and it's a game about power that people and things and problems just get sacrificed to that. And I don't know how you could hope to, if you want to go into politics to do good, I, that must be very frustrating. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. I live in <laughs> And America, so I'm not gonna. So I get it. So you know, you know. I yeah. get it. Being a woman is great. Okay. Um, and lastly, <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? What are you doing here? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> well, I either that or welcome. I don't know. Um, I guess. I guess there's this whole. I don't know. It's so interesting that there's this idea that like there's some destination to get to, and there isn't. Like I think the more life goes on, the more I'm like, oh, oh shit. It, it just never stops being a learning curve. There is no destination to get to. 
and I think I think this idea of heaven implies that there's that there's something continuing. I think my I think actually what I'd like to hear is you've arrived <laughs> rather than if you come in it's actually just more you're just going to keep learning yeah. I can't imagine I guess if I guess heaven maybe it's a state of like you're there yeah. you've got there and so you know in a really philosophical sort of therapy way the idea is to create that on earth in this life right that actually you're here you're enough you've made it it's okay not you've made it successfully you've yeah. made it and yourself you've realized yourself as a person you are not that you know you've reached nirvana because who can do that apart from buddha apparently but that um that you that you are enough and that you're good enough and and that that if there is a sort of you know heaven on earth it it would be getting to that point where you could just go i'm enough and the rest is just detail yeah that'd be great Maybe if maybe if God said that to me, you're enough and the rest just detail. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, I'll come in. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and as Mr. Lipton would say, here are your students. And then they'd be <laughs> like, I'm a third year acting major. <laughs> you ask me what this is, or like, this is my question. You know, it's funny. One of the times I saw the History Boys, James Lipton was actually in the audience. <gasps> oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I used to usher at the theater where they filmed it. So I've been to many and inside the actor studios before. Wow. So, not to also like be one of those people, but I was on TV when I asked Matt Damon about Stuck on You. Oh so, my, stop it. Just stop it right now. I will. Love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What a great claim to fame. Yeah, thank you. I used to have my own YouTube clip, but it's not there anymore. I did not put it up. Somebody did but okay yeah and then and then what somebody removed it because yeah, it's not i don't know anymore. what happened to it i was like rude. oh I have a youtube clip i'm very cool that's and so rude like, how dare they remove it i know right well you know we have the podcast now and it lives on on the interwebs somewhere True. apple True. spotify other places so yeah. yeah i i know that you do need to go but i did want to ask one mm -hmm. more question um mm -hmm. So you've done West End and Broadway. What have you found to be the biggest differences between the two? Um, I think there was, and and I, it's difficult saying this because, um, this isn't to put the West End down in any way because they're just they're just different places. Yeah. But there was such a strong sense of connected community on Broadway um, that I didn't necessarily experience in the West End. Maybe it's because of like, even the location of the theatre we were in at that point with that show where we're slightly away from some of the other theatres, but it was so, it was glorious both times on Broadway being next to other theatres. And on the History Boys, we shared an alleyway with the cast from the chorus line and we used to hang out in that alleyway and, and like we all became friendly and like there was a camaraderie which I just loved on Broadway. This really strong sense of union. And I mean that actually in all ways, like really strong unions, but also union between people. Mm -hmm. And I just, and I loved it. And, um, and I think maybe actually if you're doing uh, the musicals in the West End, maybe there is that. I haven't had that experience. So maybe there is that really strong community of, among the musicals in the West End but certainly there was a sort of 
there was no delineation, it seemed, on Broadway between plays and musicals. Everyone was just there doing their job. And I, I loved it. So it was that sense of um, connection and community that was really strong on Broadway. Uh, ticket prices, that's the other big uh, difference um, to be mentioned. Um, <laughs> and um, what else? No, I think that's it. That's the only things I can think of right now. Community and ticket pricing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From the sublime to the mundane. Oh yeah. my God. I was telling people during like these readings I was directing over the pandemic. I was like, I'm curious to see what they're going to do price-wise when Broadway comes back. There's what nothing. have they done? Nothing. It's still expensive to see stuff. My So as I told you, because I have the COVID, I miss Harry Styles. And mm. my friends and I saw Into the Woods last Saturday. And I said... Into the Woods was more expensive than our Harry Styles tickets. Yeah. 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 How was Into the Woods? Oh, it was wonderful. So I saw it at City Center and then my friends and I, they were selling tickets for their opening night and we went, but Brian Darcy James wasn't in the show and I really wanted to see him as the baker before he left. So I literally got off a cruise ship in Florida that morning, flew to New York, and then saw Into the Woods that night. And then like a few oh, wow. days later, it's like, you have COVID. Um, great, 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 yeah. great. But uh, at least you got to see it before you have the COVID. Exactly. So, I God. still miss Harry yeah. Styles, which I will never be okay about. But um, And I will keep <laughs> mentioning it until the day I finally see him in concert. Um, Quite right, too. Thank you. I agree. But yeah, no, it was just, it was wonderful. And I, I'd love to see the new cast because Stephanie J. Block is playing the baker's wife and she's incredible. And her husband's playing the baker right now. And mm. yeah, maybe again, come to New York, see Into the Woods. I know. I would love to see that. I would absolutely love to see that. I don't think I've ever seen that on stage. And I, I yeah. just, I love it as a piece. Yeah. yeah. I saw it, I think when my sister did it in high school, but they only did the first mm. act. Um, <laughs> yeah. and then when I was in college I did an acting for the musical stage class because I was an acting major and um I sang a song from Into the Woods I'm like I don't know the show but I'll sing it and so I love that yeah Yeah. they're doing uh they're doing a version here now aren't they with Mm -hmm. Terry Gilliam directing is it I know that they're doing a production I it's very different it's pretty much the city center like concert version but on broadway Mm. so very limited set and all of that stuff but it's still great i mean the show is wonderful and they're doing sweeney todd um like uh with josh groban and annalee ashford Uh, yeah i mean i think that might be my favorite sundime score sweeney Todd. audition for it be like like, i want to go to new york being Sweeney Todd with Groban. I auditioned for Anthony for Tim Burton's version when I was in New York. I can't remember, was I doing was it Twelfth Night or was it History Boys? Can't remember. Anyway, I auditioned for that. Clearly I didn't get it. Apparently I didn't get it. But um <laughs> You know what? You want to do a musical and you want to come to New York. I know. I know two birds, one stone. I'm all Come about on. like making dreams happen for other people. If you listen to the if you could, if you could, could, that would be great. I have no connection. <laughs> I'll manifest it for you. Daniel <laughs> Barnett in Sweeney Todd as some character because I don't as know Sweeney Todd as no, Anthony. I, as anything? Oh yeah. God, I think I'm too old for Anthony now. Also, is it is it Anthony? Is it Anthony or Anthony? That's terrible, isn't it? Which is it, Anthony? 
Well, Anthony, I should know that. I don't know. I'm I'm American. We say Anthony, but I feel like UK people say Anthony. We, well, we we say both. We say oh, both. Okay. It depends on the person. Yeah, yeah. My stepdad's family is Italian, so I lean towards the Anthony. Um, my uh, my uncle was an Anthony, but he's still spelt with a th. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I have no idea. Okay. Uh, one last question. Mm-hmm. Why do you think theater is important? Well, I think the pandemic has sort of shown why theatre is important because it does, it serves so many purposes. It shouldn't even be a question, I don't mean your question, but it shouldn't even be a question for like receiving government funding or receiving any kind of funding. Like, are the arts important? Should we be funding them? Should they exist? Like, it is, it's one of the earliest human forms of expression, theatre. Like, it really is. And both for the people doing it, but also that communal communal experience of watching it in a live way, which is so different to watching screen, so different to watching film. Theatre is ancient, and it holds up a mirror to society. It holds up a mirror to someone personally watching something. It makes you laugh, it makes you cry, it makes you feel, it makes you think it brings people together in a in a sort of connected way that rarely happens like why do people love sport why do people go to live sporting events it's the game but it's the theater of it it's the performance of it and it's the same with theater whether that's i don't know dance or opera or musicals or plays it's its function is so fundamental to being a human being people treat it like an add-on like a luxury probably because it is expensive to see therefore it is a privilege therefore it is elitist and it shouldn't be um but the thing itself theater itself is fundamental to who we are as people because if it wasn't we wouldn't play as children and we play and we make believe and then as adults if we stop doing that one of the places we see that being done that it reconnects us with that is in a theater it's just completely fundamental to being human. And um, the argument that it needs to be cut from university courses or from schools or whatever, or defunded in some way, or completely sort of privatized, I guess, like it is in America in terms of, you know, it's all philanthropy that supports the arts rather than any government funding. That's sort of the way we're going here in the UK. And I just think it's such a shame. And Europe, they they fund their arts properly and and so much great stuff comes out of that. And people will always find a way. People will always find a way to create, no matter what's going on financially. Um, but it's about who we are as people. Theatre can also respond and move far quicker in terms of responding to cultural events than screen can. And it's not like there's a competition, but what became apparent in the pandemic was that if you lose theatre, at a community level, at any level, you are not going to get the great Netflix shows that you've got because Netflix borrows its writers, its actors, its directors, its producers a lot from theatre. It just mm-hmm. does. Most TV does. So it's fundamental. Yeah. That was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally right. Well, I'm, I'm going to end the Zoom recording, but you can stay okay. on if you want to. Um, Sam... 
Thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. I, again, still cannot believe you said yes to doing it. <laughs> I, I just, I had the best time chatting with you and listening to your stories and your feelings on theater and life and all of the things. So thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. And now that Sam listens to the podcast, there's now six people who listen. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. You've been, you've been a brilliant interviewer. It's been really nice, really nice to chat. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. All right. Thanks everyone.